It's good to see everybody here today. And um, we're going to get started today first by celebrating the gospel and the fact that the gospel is alive and well in the 21st century. Isn't that amazing? You know, it, it was uh, more than 2,000 years ago, our Lord had that night where he had this deep prayer and his wish for our unity and our oneness, for us to stay close together for our own protection. 21st century, the gospel is alive and well, and in the 21st century, the gospel can be spoken here and heard there all around the world instantaneously. Amen? But the gospel is alive and well, not because of technology, but because of Jesus. PowerPoint slides are a wonderful tool. But with or without them, effective preaching, according to Paul, relies on demonstration of spirit and power. So I've decided to do without the slides today. Decided to do without the slides. And I'll let you know, I tested that computer all week. It failed not one time. <laughs> failed not one time. But we don't need them. Because effective preaching relies on demonstration of spirit and power. So we're not going to have slides, but you will hear the name of Jesus preached today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And in his name is all the power and spirit and technology that we need. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So just before going to the cross, Jesus said in John 17, 11, he said, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. And what was the reason he prayed that prayer? The next line, it says that they may be one, that is us, that we may be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And that's the basis for our oneness, our unity. It's for our protection. The point of last week's message, and again this week, is that elders are part of God's answer to that prayer. The devil prowls like a lion, Scripture tells us, looking for a stray sheep. But God has given us elders as guardians in his house. And the unity that they instill in us keeps us from wandering into harm's way. Now, if we leave here today not convinced that the elders of this church are engaged in a constant holy warfare for our sake, then perhaps we are among those who have neither ears to hear or eyes to see. Our master text today comes from the book of Titus, chapter 1, just like last week. Please stand with me to honor God in the reading of his word. Titus, chapter 1. Verse 1, and since we read the same text last week, um, we're just going to do the introduction and then move into the address to Titus. 
Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Amen. Now speaking to Titus, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above a reproach in the husband of one wife, and if his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now, I don't like to, to have us all say amen on that sour note, but all God's people say amen and we'll get to a better note as we go along. All right, I'm going to make a little working room here for myself in case I get excited and start knocking things off. And I always like to know where the tissues are because you guys know I've got a soft heart. All right, so let's start with a recap. Do you have your bulletins? All right, so last week's bulletin, I'm repeating a couple of points. So we can see that this is a part two of a two-part message today. Last week was part one, and last week we focused, we started with our focus on the plight of pastor burnout and some staggering statistics connected to the heavy load that's placed on the pastors in God's church. Two out of five pastors, if you, if you put two out of, if you have five pastors standing here, two of them, Standing here on this podium or contemplating quitting at that moment. That's a staggering statistic. That's the pressure, the constant pressure that's on the pastorate. So no matter how gifted a pastor may be, it's just too much for one person. Therefore, by way of review, and the first point in your bulletin today... A critical function of the elders is, well, you didn't pay any attention last week. A critical function of the elders is to share the load of the pastor. A critical function of the elders is to share the load or the burden of the pastor. I hope you do better on the next one. So, Elders serve the church in many ways. But perhaps the most significant way is that they ease the burden of the pastor by preserving unity, the unity that Jesus prayed for us to have. They're in part answer to that prayer. 
their like-heartedness, looking at your second sermon point today, their like-heartedness and like... Yes! Like-mindedness ensure unity at the core of the local church body. Good job. Good job. Well, as much as we'd like to stay in review, now part two is going to kick in. So we're moving into part two. So looking at verse five again in our master text, we see that Paul instructs Titus not to have a vote, right? But he says, for Titus himself to appoint elders. Their appointment as elders is evidence of their anointing which flows down from the pastor and works its way through the entire congregation. The stringent qualification of elders guarantees it must be so. In verses 6 through 8, especially in verse 7, which says they must be above reproach. That makes them our role models. It makes them our role models. So in essence, elders are building or creating unity among us by modeling godliness. Elders are building or creating unity within us by modeling godliness before us. And by modeling godliness, the anointing that is on them works its way into us, and it knits us together in a fabric of unity to the glory of God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice, there is no university degree or certificate of completion mentioned among the qualification for elders in our text. Praise God. Rather, the focus is on a holy lifestyle that reflects their love and relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 1 of our master text, theirs is the knowledge which accords with godliness. Their relationship with Jesus is their credential. And the reason that he placed them as guardians in his church to begin with. Because our elders are ever in the Word and devoted in prayer, we feel it. I challenge you if you haven't thought about it. We feel it. Because they are ever in the Word and devoted to prayer on our behalf, we are drawn to them and we receive comfort in their presence as they continuously remind us of the goodness of God. When they speak, we listen. Because we know that the elders talk the talk of God and they walk the talk of discipleship. Elders talk the talk and walk the talk of discipleship, which is your third sermon point today in your bulletin. Now, I'm sure we're all aware, right? We're all aware that they have their different learning styles. I, I bet you wouldn't be surprised to know this. So Liberty University tested my learning style, and Samantha, I think this validates her 
Dare you say, my learning style is, I learn in motion. And that's because when the Lord made me, he put ants in my pants. <laughs> I got a whole closet full of them. Every one of them got ants in them. I can't sit still. I'm forcing myself not to wiggle right now. But the point is, I like the pace and walk. And when I'm thinking about a problem, I like to walk and think it over. I'm a, I'm, I mull it over. I guess that makes me a muller. And I have read books for hours pacing the floor of my house. And I will learn that material better when I'm in motion than I will sitting in a chair. It's hard to read when your legs are shaking. So there are different modes of learning for different people. Some learn by repetition. Others learn by what's called the hard way. Some by association, some by taking notes. More rare, more rare is the one who learns simply by listening. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? More rare is the person who learns simply by listening. But I think we'd all agree that people often learn best when they have an example to follow. People learn best when they have an example to follow. That's your fourth uh, sermon point in your outline today. If you've ever ordered a piece of furniture that came unassembled, then you know exactly where we're going with this, right? When you get that, that written instruction, don't throw that away. The written instruction is essential. But they work best when they come with illustrations and pictures. They go hand in hand. I know sometimes I just abandoned the written word, went with the picture, and then found out, uh-oh, and then I have to go back to the trash and hope that the garbage truck hasn't come already, right? To bail you out or do the walk of shame and call the company and ask for more instructions. And they're going to be like, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but instructions work best when they come with illustrations and pictures. The Lord knows that we need to learn by example. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he turned to them and he said, I have given you an example that you should do also as I have done to you. Similarly, in Hebrews 13.7, let's read this. Hebrews 13.7, if you wanted to go there. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider their outcome and their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome and their way of life and imitate their faith. The devil is itching for an opportunity to pick one of us off. But the unity and the oneness instilled in us by the elders is a shield around us. The godly role model provided by the elders is a living, breathing illustration that goes hand in hand with the written instruction. The nearer we imitate their faith and their walk, 
the harder it becomes for Satan to penetrate our defenses. So I pose to you. I pose to you. Let's think for a minute. What would Blessed Life Fellowship be like today without our elders? I can't know what I don't know. That's a tough question. We can't know what we don't know. It's sort of like asking the question, what would happen to me if I stopped taking my vitamins? I'm kind of scared to find out. So I keep taking them. You know, the real test for whether a vitamin is doing any good or not is to stop taking it and see what happens. You know, we may not notice the change right away, but if they're really doing us any good, we'll find out soon enough, won't we? Yeah? We are blessed and privileged to have four godly role models among us. I think it's time to... Let's just go ahead. We are blessed and privileged to have four godly role models among us, and we dare not take them for granted. If suddenly they were removed from the picture or let down their guard, we'd all feel the effects soon enough. Trust me, we don't want to know what it would be like. We can't know what we don't know, but we never want this to happen to us. That is why starting today, I'm going to ask for you to make a commitment. Starting today, I ask you to do as Brother Bill Compton did. Lay aside time to pray specifically for our elders. Pray for their constant strengthening and their constant encouragement. If you do that, the blessing that comes on them as a result of our prayer for them will flow right back into our own laps. And Jesus will be honored by the display of unity among us in answer to his own prayer. Amen? Amen. All right. Shifting gear a little bit here. A look back at Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, informs us of another vital function of the elders that of ensuring unity through knowledge of the Word. Another vital function of the elders is that of ensuring unity through knowledge of the Word. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 1, book of Titus, he must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Elders are guardians in God's house. Elders are guardians in God's house. And what I get from this text... They must be trustworthy, hold firm, hold firm the trustworthy word. Do you know what that hold firm is for? Because the word of God 
is their protective weapon. It's a sword. The sword is the Word of God. They hold it firm and they don't let go. They're tenacious in the Word. And their protecting weapon is a sword, which is the Word of God. And those are your fifth and sixth points in your bulletin this morning. So in this regard of holding the sword firmly, we might think of our elders as anointed ninjas, appointed for protecting the flock from dangerous deceptions, heresies, destructive myths, subtle twistings, and perversions of the Word of God that threaten to fracture the unity within and potentially luring, luring some near to the borders of the enemy's camp. The devil, on the other hand, is consistent. And he's going to stick with the same tactics that have worked for him in the past. Chief among these is tampering with the written word. Satan is a master at twisting the word of God. And we might think of this weapon as a corkscrew, a twisting of the pure doctrine of the Bible. Now in the twisting of the sword, he's removed the blade. To his own detriment, he took the blade and he's removed it because he's twisted it into a corkscrew. But watch out for the tip. If he can get that tip in you, he's going to start cranking and cranking. And we've all seen how a corkscrew works, right? No matter how tightly lodged that cork is, a few more cranks and a little tug, and it's going to come out. So we're looking at that activity of holy warfare, a sword versus a corkscrew. Now I ask you, if you come into a battle, which weapon would you pick? I'd pick the sword, right? The Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, and our elders know how to wield that thing. The devil's corkscrew is no match for the trustworthy Word. And as guardians of the Word, part of the elders' responsibility is seeing that proper instruction is given in this church and in churches in God's house all around the world. Proper instruction, therefore, is an invisible fence alerting Christ's sheep when they are approaching the danger zone. The danger zone, which is the seventh point in our outline. Proper instruction in the Word is the invisible fence that alerts the Christ's sheep when they are approaching the danger zone. Go with me to um, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I was getting ready to tell you I bet I'd get there first because I marked it, and then guess what I didn't do? Didn't mark it, but now I'm there. I trust that you're there with me as well. Starting in Ephesians 4, um, in verse 11, uh, before we read that first verse, I just want to give a praise to Jesus. 
Jesus ascended on high. And, uh, but before he did, he didn't leave us as orphans, did he? No, not at all. He's seen our every need for successfully living our faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of those anointed human beings in certain offices within his church. What are those offices? Who are these? Well, starting in Ephesians uh, 4, verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. The Greek word there for that last one, the Greek word for this last office, teachers, is didaskalos. Didaskalos. Which the English Standard Version rightly notes as a compound word, shepherd, teacher. Shepherd, teacher. So he's given as shepherd teachers, didaskalos. And this notion of a shepherd teacher combines both functions, the one of overseer and the function of teacher that's assigned to the elders by Paul in our master text of Titus chapter 1. Those two roles are described in verses 7 and 9 of Titus 1. Now, picking up in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up in verse 12, we read, He gave them to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of, doc wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and de deceitful schemes. Hmm. Does that remind you of anyone? Wind of doctrine. Craftiness and deceitful schemes. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As previously mentioned, proper instruction is like an invisible fence alerting Christ's sheep when they are approaching the, the danger zone. But when that barrier is breached, the barrier of proper instruction, when that line is crossed, then it's time for corrective action. It's getting quiet in here. Did I do, do a mic check? All right, all right, stay with me here, stay with me. Let's go back to Titus. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, The elders must not only be able to teach sound doctrine, but must also be ready to convict, refute, or rebuke 
those who contradict it. That's depending on which translation you're reading. It's convict, refute, or rebuke. The ESV reads this way. He must hold firm. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Begin with the silence. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe Hebrews chapter 12 will help. Turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 12. Well, thank goodness I marked one. There we go. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll give you just a second. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 8. <clears throat> if you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The rebuke is intended to save your life. The rebuke is intended to save your life. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the last blank in the sermon outline this morning. The rebuke is intended to save your life. I was only four years old, but I will never forget the time when I was outside playing with my brother and our friends. All who were roughly about the same tender young age, four, five years old, the car rolled up slowly and came to a stop not far from where we were playing. And the passenger side door opened, but there was only one person in the car, a man, who was the driver. And uh, he began to motion for me to come closer. Four, I was four. On about my second or third step in that direction, I heard my mother's voice. Get away from that car. And then she yelled at the man, What are you doing? That familiar voice and the stern tone behind it snapped me out of the spell that I was in. The car sped off, and I ran toward the safety of my mom just as fast as my chubby little legs would carry me. Her rebuke saved my young life. Being only four years old at the time, I wasn't aware that even when I couldn't see her, my mom, as my guardian, always kept watch over me. And the other kids, all of us, where we were playing. A neighbor was able to get the, uh, jot down the man's license numbers. He sped away. And that man was eventually arrested he was apprehended. He was a known offender. Now my mom, she's only about this tall. But I think they put that man away for his own protection because if she could have got a hold of this guy, she would have tore into him like a mountain lion. 
Do you know why? Because her loving heart makes her a fierce protector. Now, at the age of 58, you'll be 59 pretty soon. I'll get my name in the bulletin in a couple of months. Uh, at the age of 58, standing here before you today, I'm comforted to know that in many ways, in many ways, my mom still watches over me. And I hope you all get to meet her someday. I just talked to her on the way here on the phone, told her what I was going to say, checking the details. You know, my mom's is one of the biggest and most loving hearts that you'll ever meet. Brothers and sisters, our elders have that same loving and protecting heart for you and me. But you know our elders are judicious. They're not chomping at the bit to find someone to correct, right? They're not just waiting for an opportunity to walk up to someone and say, hold there, I rebuke thee. <laughs> I don't think that's their persona at all, right? So we don't want to paint that picture. But you know, their big concern and their attention is on heresy and empty talk and distortion of God's word. We're not all always going to line up on every matter of biblical interpretation like dress codes or post-millennialism or pre-millennialism. As our pastor's often fond of saying, I'm a pan-millennialist because, as he says, he's sure that it will all pan out according to God's plan. On the other hand, we have essentials such as the gospel. The salvation in Christ and Christ alone for which the matter is firmly fixed. Concerning the finality of the gospel. Paul said in Galatians that even if an angel from heaven were to preach any other gospel than the one they received from Paul, let him be accursed. As guardians, the elders see to it that empty talk Myths and even opinions that don't line up with the trustworthy word are silenced before they can do any damage. As it says in verse 11, it must be silenced. It's not an option. So as we approach the close of the message this morning, I'd like to ask for you to travel the scriptures with me this one last time over to the book of Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts, chapter 20. If you'd all got up like I did this morning and put a yellow sticky on Acts, chapter 20, you'd be there by now. It's easy to do. I see someone holding up, hey, I can get there quicker with my uh, smart phone, which I don't doubt at all. I probably have about four translations in front of me. Acts, chapter 20. Verse 17, I'm going to start with 17 to make it clear that Paul is talking to elders here. And then we will move over to verse 28. So Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. 
Verse 28. Saying to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Praise you, Lord. Paul goes on. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so God's elders have faithfully stood their post throughout time keeping watch as guardians over us, considering it better to give of themselves than to receive. We can never know which of us they have kept from being lured away. But without them, some who are here today may have otherwise wandered off and been snatched away. No matter how talented a pastor may be, whether it's Titus or Paul or our own pastors, the work is just too much. A vital function of the elders is to shoulder the heavy burden of the pastor and the unifying effect that the elders have on the assembly is their greatest contribution. Their efforts result in fewer fractures and splinters that the pastor has to piece back together and fewer stray sheep that the pastor has to go to round up. Elders are godly role models and guardians among us. You won't hear them tooting their own horns or beating their own drums, but let's not take them for granted. None of us want to find out what it would be like without them. So for all they gladly do for us, 1 Timothy 5.17 bears repeating, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. All right, so in closing, in closing, let's look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10, a final time. It says in Titus 1:10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. You know, that's the way it was in Crete, but that's not the way it is here. That's a testimony that the elders here are doing the work of God. But there are many here who have issues of a different sort. So let's look at those words again. There are many who. And then 
there's a blank. There are many who. The number of concerns in this room is equal to the number of people in this room. Everyone here is dealing with something. Your heart knows what, what it is. If you want to write it down in your heart, you write it down on the back of your bulletin. You know, it could be a physical challenge of some sort. It could be a broken relationship. Maybe you're undergoing persecution at work or in school. If you're a female and you have a concern that you think may be a little awkward to discuss with a man, we have Pam and Julie. Likewise for us fellas, there may be some things better. We feel more comfortable talking over with Mark or Steve. But whatever it may be, don't leave it bottled up. The devil would like nothing more than for you to keep it hidden away in a dark corner where he can play his mind games with you. Instead, consider bringing it to the light of one of our elders and let the anointing that's on them flow into your situation. They have God's seal of approval and the bond of trust you form with them brings healing into your life and it brings glory to the Lord who appointed them as your overseers and your defenders.